Hello, everybody. First topic this week is a blog that uh, we posted on our site that, in fact, I, I had written. It's called the Top 12 Tips for Responding to RFPs, What We Learn from Clients on Winning Bids. And, uh, you know, put some context to this. I am not an expert RFP writer. I've done a few in my life. But the way I put this blog together was by talking to you and by asking for feedback from, we now have six writers and getting their feedback in terms of uh, their experience and what they've learned from clients on how to win bids. So the blog was posted, I think, yesterday on our website. In fact, it got great response. I think we got two calls immediately from uh, from clients. Uh, looking for help on RFPs, so that's great. Uh, just a quick sort of perspective from, from, from where I'm coming from. I was interested in writing this blog. What I learned was how hard the uh, bidder needs to work to make the issuer feel comfortable that we understand their needs. And I th- what I found really interesting in listening to our writers was at times – it may be quite confusing to try to understand the the issuer's needs, and therefore part of the part of the RFP response job and doing a good job is, in fact, to really interpret uh, and and push back to the not I don't mean push back in terms of you know making it hard, but but really reinforcing to the um, issuer what their needs are by doing some interpretation. What yes. what did you see? Yeah, and I think that's quite common, Jim. And, and what we see a lot is it's really easy when you get an RFP across your desk and that's request for proposal. They called bids, request for quotes. They could be a number of different acronyms in there. But uh, when that comes across, everyone starts thinking immediately how great we are as a company and how we can deliver. And boy, we can really help these guys and we have the solution. The challenge with that is there's so much information in there about how great you are, but that's maybe not what the issuer is looking for the solution. And the way the government bids are written, sometimes they're quite convoluted, quite complex. And many times they ask the same thing over and over in different sections and in different appendixes. And and you, you keep saying, I read that already. I read that already. I get that. Hmm. But what they're really trying to ensure is that you truly understand what it is they are looking for. And that takes a lot of interpretation to go through it. And what we found with having our team of writers and them coming in objectively to look at it, they're not stuck thinking how the firm is thinking. They can actually look at it as an overview to get the full picture of what they're actually asking from from that point. So it's a big challenge. Right. Being unbiased in terms of coming at it from what is the issue we're looking for becomes really, really important. I, I laughed at some of the feedback. I, I say laugh, but it seems so basic, right? Number one point that our writers came back with was read the entire document. That, that sounds like a no-brainer, but, but but if I put myself in the shoes of responding to an RFP, I bet that's a mistake I would make. I would probably think I had, you know, seen most of it by reading half of it and, uh, you know, not 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 put the time and attention into the detail that's that's involved in the entire document. So, you know, pretty, pretty basic first step, but really, really important. Yeah, and on that one, I think sometimes they're uh, looking at it in ways that um, – they did before. So let's say it's only a one-year contract or two-year contract. So you said, oh, I just saw that one last year. And you know how fast a year goes by. So you think that's fresh. Oh, I got it. I know what they were asking for before. But they often go to a request for proposal because they actually want to see what new things are out there. And there could be other elements that have come, whether it's technology or new solutions or new providers or whatever it is. So you really have to delve into it thoroughly. So, you know, we first look at a RFP glance over, but when you're actually ready to respond, you really have to do a deep, deep 
delve into it. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. The other one I found, they were all kind of interesting, especially in terms of talking to our writers about it, but this, the notion of meeting every mandatory requirement. And, and my sense is, I would have said, I knew, I, I know you're supposed to do that. I think what I learned from, from talking to our writers though, was that mandatory requirements uh, aren't just what are the specs of your product or service. They, they can also be things like what size is the font on the cover page? Yes. And, and, and missing something that basic, in fact, can be a, you know, an instant disqualification for something that, you know, we put hours and hours and hours, tons of hours into, into working on the, uh, you know, on the, on the body text or whatever. And then we miss the font size or the size of the picture on the cover page. And that's actually been stimulated as a mandatory requirement. Well, interestingly enough, it used to be where you had to print out every proposal back in the last 10 years. Now, at least they're going to be done uh, digitally, electronically. So there isn't having to be so much on the graphic side and printing and the type of paper and it had to be bound or in a binder and it had to be so many pages. And right now when they're, uh, I think it's simplifying things, government, uh, the federal government in Canada is uh, mandated to by 2017 have all their bids online. Right now I've seen a lot of them, but I think it'll help uh, <laughs> with that on the mandatory requirements. But don't forget the little stuff. And I think that's where, you know, it, it's the details. You can't miss anything. And mandatory is truly that who would want to get disqualified for something simple like a local yeah, size no, or a font size on the cover page yeah, pretty sure if it's up to me we probably would be so. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm not gonna go through every point here but number five you know commit the resources required you know and eliminate distractions i forget which one of our people said this but think of rfps as being an uh, what an opportunity not a distraction and, oh, yes. and, and often and again I, I led a number of firms where yeah you know quite honestly well, we did view RFPs as being a distraction. And the, the problem with that then is not dedicating the resources required to make it happen, whether that's a dedication internally of, of, of the resources or, in fact, finding, you know, the right people externally to help. And I think the natural output of, the natural fallout of not dedicating the right resources is that um, – big opportunity to mess things up. And, uh, you know, you've got people working on these RFPs uh, who probably have other things they think they should be working on. So just no question, you're not going to get as great a job done if, if we don't dedicate the, the, the required resources to make sure it gets done properly. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Jim. And one of the other things that I've learned through the process of working with our writers is that if you if the companies look at RFPs and proposal responses, it's truly a business development initiative, then it falls into strategy and it falls into things in the right way rather than just this things come across, this monsters come across my desk. So really, when they look at it strategically and how that fits into business development, huge opportunity for any company to win bids. That's why it is a fair and and um, a public process on a lot of the tenders. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know you love number seven, which is uh, don't use marketing fluff. And I, and I think you have a variation of don't use marketing fluff, which is particularly don't use marketing fluff in your executive summary. Correct. And, you know, we, we want to use our taglines and our logos. We've branded, you know, all the things we do in our company that makes us different from the competition. But one thing we see frequently is that people look at the executive summary, which is when you read the mandatory requirements, they generally say, you know, two paragraphs, maximum two pages. And this is only about your ability to deliver the solution. 
what we find and we're, you know, working on recent projects where we had two clients where we had written the executive summary. It was nice and succinct, articulate, but it went to the committees internally at the companies and people wanted to edit it, but they ended up editing up. So something that was a few paragraphs turned to two pages in one instance and another one where it was two pages turned to seven pages. So you just can't, like, that doesn't even meet the mandatory requirements, but they're way beyond how you can... Um, articulate what your solution is. And that's what the issuer wants. Just give me the nut of it. I'm sure there's some people on the evaluation side, that is the only part they read, and then they skip through and see yeah. the yeah. See, see some details, maybe pricing. But that one's key point yeah. that we see yeah. uh, is overlooked. And certainly for a horrible reader like me, seven pages is not an executive summary. <laughs> uh, I think they call it a novel. I think I heard some of it, one of our writers say they call that a little yeah, novel. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm, I won't read seven pages, so it's definitely not an executive and summary. And neither will the issuer, and that's the point. Right, so, right, yeah. right. Uh, good. I'm just going to leave to the final point, you know, and it, which really ties to then how to win an RFP, how to win the bid. And, and our writers were already consistent on this, which is having met the criteria, have a, having really given the issuer confidence that we understand their needs. It was, and, and proven that we can do that, right? It's with metrics and everything else. It then, then's the opportunity to wow them with additional value. Yes. And, and this is where, you know, sort of having hung into the competition because we, we prove we know what we're, what we're talking about and we can do it. It's actually the, dish, the additional value that is the opportunity to really differentiate our bid from somebody else's bid. And but what, what I found interesting the way, about the way our writers had positioned it was, no, but, but do your job first yes. <laughs> right? in terms of, again, working on the issuer's need, being really, really clear that that's, there's a lot of confidence being given that that's been understood, thought through, recognized, written to, and everything else. And then, and only then, start talking about the additional value that can be brought be provided yes. given given our particular solution. Is that did I interpret those properly? Yes, and that's when I think the teams get excited because they're like, that does differentiate. This is our secret sauce beyond our solution. This is really that makes us great. So yeah. it's actually when clients get to that point because they've been uh, you know they're tired at the end of getting to all the other solution and all the uh, points matching points. But that's the part where the creativity and the wow factor, I think that's what brings the teams together and go, that's why we're all in this and, and let's tell the client about it. Yeah, cool, cool. Anyways, I mean, you know, I, I enjoyed pulling this together. I think I learned a lot. It's interesting. The day after I wrote this blog, I had to submit a very small proposal. But what I found myself checking myself on was, did I really understand the client's needs? Oh, and I made sure good. that I really reflected back that that I did understand, and therefore here's the proposal based on a clear on my clear understanding uh, of their needs. So I actually found this. I, I found this. You know, very, very helpful, almost for any, even a smaller proposal, not just a large proposal. Yeah, no, good learning in it all. And I think the opportunity for so, so repurposing all the information uh, that you've uh, created for an RFP is really helpful for clients. They can use that now as their articulate on their website and their sales scripts uh, mm. so they can really repurpose that information and the whole company can go forward saying we actually now uh, can articulate what it is that makes us meaningfully different than the competition and that's powerful yeah it really is yeah no thanks Karen good uh, great great discussion